Hello, my name is Snigathati Kunda, writer for the Trade and Economy Department. My name is Lily Jang, and I'm a writer for the Podcast Department. My name is Kayla Kruger, and I am a writer for the Cultural Relations Department. And this is the Global Generation, the International Youth Politics Forum's global news podcast. Today, we'll be discussing something that's been a relatively constant conversation, especially among those of us who were still in school, climate change. Well, recently, Bloomberg Green published an article titled World's Dirtiest Air Gets Cleaner After India's Lockdown, reporting that as a result of the widespread social distancing members in effort to combat COVID-19, the world is seeing some jarring effects across the land, air, and sea. As various modes of transportation, trains, planes, automobiles, and factories have come to a halt and humans everywhere are self-isolating, we're seeing the lowering of pollution levels and the unexpected prevalence of nature, which opens the conversation to climate change. It's interesting to look at it now because, for starters, no one is going outside, and for the first time in about a decade, we're seeing a significant, and in some locations, visible change in our environment and global fuel and resource trends, it's probably one of the only good things that's happening right now amidst this pandemic. Another really important and influential part of climate change that I've witnessed personally is just the overall presence of teenagers and activism. And, you know, personally, I think it's really easy for teenagers to be jaded when they are talking about climate change and talking about activism because a lot of it comes from the excuse of not being able to speak up, not being able to make a difference. Um, And obviously we've seen um, an amazing uh, outreach by Greta Thunberg, which personally I think that has called upon a lot of teenagers to kind of take action. However, I've still witnessed a bunch of um kind of like not selfishness but eagerness to do something about climate change but no actual effort being put into speaking up and contacting legislators and trying to get policy because ultimately that is what is really going to affect the future of climate change and the future of our environment really is um legislation and I think Also, I want to note that teenagers being raised on values um, such as appreciating the environment and just recognizing climate change in general is also really important because, you know, we are the future and we have the platform and the time and the availability really to go out into the world and choose whether or not to do something to change the future. And that also leads into why we are talking about climate change today because, you know, all of us are really passionate about politics, obviously. And I think just spreading knowledge and spreading the message that we really need to do something as teenagers and we really need to start recognizing the core issue being the lack of legislation and the lack of political action taken towards climate change. I think as long as we recognize that and we start spreading that concept, it will allow teenagers to catch on and hopefully start creating change, which is ultimately the culture that we would want to see in the future and the culture that we want to foster.
I think with teens, though, it's really easy to get jaded, at least in my community. I've experienced, um, because, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon, and it's very um, eco-friendly and very environmentally aware, and it's obviously a beautiful state, and there's a lot of natural resources, and generally, we're not as largely affected by climate change. However, on an international spectrum, I think it's important for teens to look outwards and really view climate change in a different light. Because although, you know, like international climate change might not necessarily be affecting me right now, it could potentially in the long run. And that's why I think it's really important just to, for teens to grow, grow outwards and kind of get a wider lens of climate change, which may be hard because, you know, travel is a lot harder for teens. However, in the future, if it's not directly addressed, um, it could grow to be a major problem. I think one of the reasons why climate change is so hard for so many people to process is because it's happening in smaller increments and you have to look at the end product as a, like a whole, as the total impact. And that's kind of a reflection, I guess, of what the human mind is capable of processing. Because the MIT Review put out an article yesterday speaking about how climate change has been changing during the current pandemic. And it was basically saying that for a linear curve, it's a lot easier for people to process because you're putting in more effects, you're getting a larger impact. Whereas with climate change, the change is so gradual that you don't really notice it and you can easily deflect it. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of our older audiences as well, because even though as youth, we've been taught about this for most of our education, but for whatever reason, it's harder for a lot of other people to grasp. And with the COVID-19 pandemic itself, you can see it in that there are people who are still going about and going outside, avoiding social distancing rules. It's those small changes that lead to the overall impact. I think along with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's really interesting to see how the lack of the lack of presence of humans in society in general is really affecting the environment. I mean, we've seen a lot of not big changes, but a lot of changes like smog clearing up um, and water clearing up in Venice. And I think that's really interesting to see just how, you know, the lack of human interaction with natural resources during this time has helped the earth. And that that postulates the important um, dynamic of how does industry affect the environment? How do people infect the environment? And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see. And I think as teens, we have an important role in this situation because we have the opportunity to learn from this pandemic and proceed in the future with caution. Right. So I love how Kayla was talking about internationally, we're seeing these dynamics of climate change affecting Venice, China, India, these 
prominent cities that are known to be high polluters. Um, and just like COVID-19 is affecting cities around the world differently and at different rates, climate change is affecting cities around the world at different rates. I mean, in Venice particularly, I was on social media and I mean, my feed is just flooded with pictures of what people are seeing outside their windows. And in India, people are seeing clear blue skies. And I think it's nice how at least there is a silver lining to all of this craziness, chaotic air energy going on with the pandemic, um, which is we have clear blue skies in India. And in Venice, there are pictures into the water of the Venice Canal showing surprising sights of not just a cleary sand uh, of not just a cleary sand bed, but also fish and crabs and multicolored plant life and even dolphins. So I think the aptness, the absence of motorboats are bringing back these um, amazing, in, amazing environmental um, sites. Turning to the scientific side of our pollution trends right now, it is remarkable that we're seeing such a great result in such a short period of time just from isolating ourselves. But at the same time, the number one polluter in our atmosphere is carbon dioxide. And that stays in our atmosphere for about four years. So even though we are seeing a decrease in other gases and other well greenhouse gases, it's not enough to actually have a substantial impact. So the important thing about the trends that we're seeing right now is that we can learn from them. We can see how to progress forward, but we can only do that if we have global support. What we're learning from this crisis is that we are a global community and we can't take substantial action until we all move forward. And much like the COVID pandemic, we're not going to see any changes with climate change until we, as an as a world, move forward. And with what happened with the Paris Climate Change Agreement in December, it was kind of overshadowed with everything that was happening in Wuhan at the time, but the chords are basically done. Like, it's over. And it's devastating to see that because the large, the most, the largest reason for its downfall was because of nationalism from our leaders and from the big players that were involved. I think Snigda is making a really great point. Um, I think generally what we've seen from the results of climate change and how the climate has been affected by the quarantine period, I think it's remarkable. However, it really is just a short-term solution because Ultimately, at one point or another, everyone's going to come out of quarantine and just assume their regular positions unless people start taking that dramatic change to fight climate change. And I think a lot of the problem is rooted in modern industries and how industries are um, using unsustainable fuel that emit carbon emissions and really just harm the environment. I recently um, studied palm oil in the palm oil industry and how it is 
virtually just one of the most unsustainable ways of contracting an oil. And, you know, palm oil is so widely used in industries. It's used as a biofuel, even. It's used in food. It's used in makeup products. It is dominating um, industry right now. However, it is so destructive to the environment. And I think that's really sad to see. And a lot of it's rooted in leadership as well. I know Snigda um, touched on the uh, Paris Climate Accords. However, um, I think that it really takes a strong leader to step forward and start addressing these problems. And sadly, we haven't really witnessed that. So it's up to teens, I guess, to remain hopeful for the future and really start pushing that. I think a nice segue into the next topic, which is the relation of COVID-19 and climate change is we're seeing how, well, science is showing that the concentration of PM 2.5 and PM 10, which are these very fine particles, uh, pieces of matter um, in the atmosphere from pollution um, is infecting people's health. And with COVID-19, the strongest links I see are actually related, first of all, to air pollution and fossil fuels as a source of air pollution. And fossil fuels, of course, are the major cause of climate change. Um, the other connections I see are the way that we think about the environment as it pertains to health has gotten us into a rut with the emergence of infections like COVID and climate change. And um, just to a little elaborate on that, you look at climate change and we have transformed the nature of the earth. We have fundamentally change the composition of the atmosphere. And as such, we shouldn't be surprised that that affects our health. Um, when we change the rules of the game, we shouldn't expect that it wouldn't affect your house for better or worse. And that's true of the climate. And the same principle holds for the emergence of infections. It is possible to actually take measures against climate change. That's what we're seeing with this entire social distancing, lockdown, border closure procedure. But at the same time, what's notable to talk about is the fact that with those measures, you are effectively stopping a lot of industries. And that leads to a lot of job loss. And uh, it just takes away an entire revenue stream for several low-income families. With climate change and with COVID-19, there's one reflection that we can always see, and that's the people that are going to be hardest hit by whatever global issue we face. It's going to hit our poorer regions first, and it's going to hit them the hardest. So by taking away these industries and implementing climate change measures that help us in the long term, it's going to end up taking away their source of life, their source of income. And that introduces the general question now, which is, yeah, we're seeing a lot of people filing for unemployment, and we are talking about receiving an economic stimulus so that we don't go into a recession. But at the same time, those measures aren't being taken for climate change, because for so long, the opposing side has been saying, it's not economically feasible, we cannot do this. If we are being forced to do this right now, because it is a life or death situation, and it relied on us being immediate about all of our actions with climate change because of how long term it is. No one's really putting it in the same limelight. I think 
Snake does making a really great point about the longevity of the economy, just generally worldwide. I think, especially with the pandemic, you know, and all of the, and kind of just like the halt of industry and the vast, um, just rise of unemployment on an international spectrum. I think it's really um, testing of each country's economy and how the stability of the economy can last the pandemic because ultimately the pandemic hopefully is not going to last forever. And, um, but it's really testing of each country's economy. And, you know, that's why, the pandemic is going to hit those countries the hardest. However, that's why climate change also has an interesting effect on this because it creates this hard situation where on one hand of the spectrum, there are these little things that are showing progress for climate change and the longevity of the climate. However, on the other hand of the spectrum, industry and the economy really can't hold out for that long so it's really questioning the um the need for climate change on a general international spectrum and the need for legislation that could really help set this in motion Sneda and kayla you guys are absolutely right that this situation that we're in it's um, timeless and we don't really know when it's going to end, but this has kind of created the perfect scenario for scientists to conduct studies during this time with the conditions that we're faced with. Um, I want to bring it back to species and climate change. There are a lot of things that have led to habitat loss for species and brought them into closer proximity to human communities. A bulldozing a jungle can do that. Um, and to be clear, we don't know with COVID what role, if any, the climate change effects that we're seeing in species around the world may have had on the risk of this disease emerging. But we know clearly that it had something to do with a market in which animals were commingled. The bats, they're potentially pangolins, um, but it's not clear, for instance, whether bat migration patterns, which have been influenced by climate, have played a role. But we do have other examples. We see this extraordinary migration to the poles. We're watching all kinds of life forms run away from heat. And this has led to the spread of pathogens because animals that carry pathogens came in contact with other animals that didn't carry those pathogens. And there was a transmission. And the constraints upon animal migration because of habitat loss may force animals into closer proximity. Going back to our earlier point that this is a global crisis, we're not going to be able to see results unless every country takes a step forward. And with that being said, our, the significant rise of xenophobia in recent times, not just with the pandemic, but also with nationalism increasing in different regions around the world, it's leading to a lot of political tension, as well as just it's just almost unfeasible at this point to have a reliable solution to climate change that has every country involved. And that's what's most most terrifying about this whole situation, because we can't make significant process progress until we have unanimous support. But with how 
our current administration is looking not just American with Trump, but also in China and Australia and Britain. We're seeing so much nationalism and just xenophobic procedures that it's almost terrible to kind of even take it into account. I think also along with that, I think a lot of leaders are arguing that you know, pursuing legislation to fight climate change and pursuing alternative methods to controlling industry and really just cre- helping create a sustainable environment and a sustainable industry. A lot of them are arguing that it's not economically feasible and how, you know, it's great to pursue all of this climate change, but a lot of leaders are saying it's not within the means of the economy. And it's quite expensive to um, pursue that. And I think that really, I, I personally disagree with that because I think that climate change should be prioritized in the government. And I think that pursuing alternative methods to help create a sustainable industry that could really last us into the future, I think that should be one of um one of a strong point in a political agenda. And, um, you know, as a young person, I would really like to see in the future um, the prioritization of climate change and agenda that helps combat climate change in the future. I think even though we don't have global collaboration right now, there's a lot that we can do on the individual level in our local communities. And living more sustainably, like composting, recycling, um, living greener in our local communities is something that we can control. And on the political scale, um, it is hard. It's almost impossible to get everyone to agree with you know, the Paris Climate Accords. It's almost chaotic. Um, but I think with the current Trump administration, um, I can speak on politically, his actions with the EPA, which stands for the Environmental Protection Agency. Right now, they want more transparency, quote unquote, um, in how we use scientific data in determining political bills um, and health bills. But it's really limiting science in public health bills. And unlike the previous policy, um, right now, Trump wants, wants want scientists to disclose all raw data, and that includes confidential medical records linking pollution to health, which makes it more difficult to enact clean air and water rules because um, studies detailing the links of pollution and health are gathered under confidentiality agreements. And the ramifications of this is he's changing the accurate statistics by getting thousands of pollution deaths off the books and the freeing of coal plants to actually release more mercury into the air. But I think if we bring public health into the conversation about how pollution has an effect on our personal lives, I mean, humans are selfish. We care about our lives in the immediate now. Um, There's this argument of live greener, live more sustainable for your kids, for your children, for your grandchildren, for the futures. I think right now we need to be able to get the statistics to the audience, to the world of seeing how living greener has an effect in our personal lives, in our personal health. In addition to the conversation about personal health, it's important to realize that people's ideals and what they care about and 
are paying attention to is largely dependent on what they're hearing and seeing from the media. But there's a really high chance that the information that they're getting is disinformation, which is a topic that we covered in the last episode, specifically about its impacts on the population, and a really great example of that is the Australian bushfires. We didn't see a lot of action during the Australia bushfires, which was a significant part of last year that did lead to a lot of issues with climate change activism because there were a lot of people who were saying that it was intentional arson when it was proven by several other sources that it wasn't. That same disinformation that we see in media campaigns and political campaigns, it's in every strong issue that we see in the internet in the news it's all over the place and until people are very conscious of what they are perceiving in the media i'm not sure how how they're going to rely on news sources because you are getting so much information about climate change from both the opposing and the supporting and it's not it's not the best method to get support because you're just kind of drumming up interest while not taking action. And that's one of the issues with climate change solutions in general. It's that we talk about the problem, we're aware of the problem, but we're not sure how we can attain long lasting goals. For several people, I know that Lily said that you can do it in localized ways. You can focus in your communities and get people to actually start working towards more sustainable methods. But for a lot of people, that's just not possible. They rely on fuel-based electricity and more like fossil fuels to be burned so that they can get to work every day because they can't afford the more expensive, sustainable options. And that's just reflective. It's not exactly representative of our current place in the world, which is we are significantly more developed than we were A couple decades ago, we rely on a lot more things to get by in our way of life. For example, right now, we are all very dependent on the internet, and we need the internet to get basic work done. But a couple years ago, that wouldn't have even been an option, because how could it have been? You have to take into account the fact that there are so many different measures that we see as an everyday necessity that for as of right now, we just don't have a way to make sustainable. And until we have a way to make those products and items easier on our climate, it's not going to be an option to switch away from that. And so in that case, I guess you could argue, yes, humans are the virus, humans are what's causing this whole crisis. But at the same time, you can't exactly wipe out all of humanity to help climate change. A lot of people are also generalizing and making an extreme argument about climate change amidst the coronavirus pandemic, saying that humans are the virus and humans are the entire reason for climate change. And there's a little bit of truth in this argument. However, it seems a bit extreme. And just saying that humans are the virus is kind of generalizing the issue and making it not as specific as it ideally needs to be to be solved. For example, yes, humans do take up a lot of the blame for the climate change and the current state of our environment. However, 
I think, in my opinion, I believe that climate change is a much broader um, battle to fight because it has to do with industry and kind of the culture that society has built for the climate. And, you know, saying that humans are the issue and humans should just go into quarantine and then our climate's going to be fine is not the real issue here. Um, the real issue is that climate change is really affecting our lives. And yes, we've seen some positive aspects that have come out of the quarantine. However, it's simply not enough. It's kind of just like a short-term band-aid over a larger issue. And I just think that um, that is important to distinguish um, in terms of that argument, because it really is spread all over the media. Like, I know I personally have seen it on social media and even the news, um, just different stories about how the climate is just miraculously fixed when that really isn't the case. I think people are just kind of looking past that and just seeing that, oh, there are some things that are changing, which is good. So we're just going to place all of the blame on the humans and not really address the issue with any sort of legislation or progressive action that really needs to be taken. So just in summary here, um, it's the effect of climate change on humanity and just the world in general has been quite frightening and fascinating to analyze um, over recent years and how nature can adapt to the changing of human habits and humanity in general. And, you know, hopefully this is something that the world can remember once the pandemic is over and once all of this is has subsided. And so we can hopefully put more of a prioritization and more of a focus on climate change. It's incredible to see how in such a short time, nature can adapt to the changing of human habits. Hopefully, this is something the world can remember once the pandemic is over and apply to the ways we think about environmental policy moving forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to the third episode of The Global Generation, IYPF's podcast. The next episode will be released in two weeks. For more information on climate change, youth activism, and topics covering everything from geomilitary relations to human rights, please check out our website at www.iypforum.org and follow us on our Instagram at IYPforum for more updates.